ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I was very worried about what was going through Laura's head. So I was avoiding the conversation. And I'm still scared because now it's us. You know that moment when you meet someone and you just go, that's it, everything is going to change. I'm Farza Draki and this is Days Like These. Today, reporter Janae Jenkins tells us about a love story, Rudy's love story. It's one that's given them courage to make some pretty big decisions, to live a life that's authentic, sometimes scary, but ultimately pretty damn beautiful. I met my wife 20 years ago now. We were both huge film nerds. And back in those days, we used, when there was a big film festival in town, both of us used to take time off from work to go to that. So sitting in a movie theatre for 10 days from you know, nine o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night. And Laura was doing the same thing. So you get to know the other regulars because you're standing around in a lot of lobbies with them for waiting to go into things for a substantial chunk of a week. And so in doing that, we we got to know each other and and through a common interest in film, yeah, then we, we started seeing each other and we actually we moved in pretty quickly. Like I think we'd known each other for only a few months at that stage and we've been together ever since. Rudy describes Laura as intelligent, compassionate, and has an enormous social conscience with a very clear sense of justice and knowing what is right and wrong in the world. She's perfect in every sense of the word. Laura makes Rudy feel safe. And that was an unfamiliar feeling for Rudy. She is passionate about the things that she loves, which I'm very fortunate includes me. She's, she throws herself into things wholeheartedly. I, I guess I just knew from the time we first met that this was this was someone who I felt very, very safe with. I, I love the romance of the the against all oddsness of our relationship. We we met by chance in a theatre lobby. We just happened to be into a lot of the same sorts of things, and it just felt right from the very beginning. <laughs> Rudy grew up in suburban Queensland in the late 1970s. My parents were tremendously devoted to me. They were they were loving, they were generous, they were kind, they were very, very supportive of everything that I wanted to do. Rudy's parents had this worldly cultural mix. Rudy's mom was Sri Lankan and Rudy's father was Austrian. And they were both living and working in Papua New Guinea. And once Rudy was born, they decided to migrate to Australia and start their new life. I was the eldest of three children, so there was quite a lot riding on establishing ourselves in a new country where there were no family, no social networks. Rudy always felt a sense of not quite fitting in. Some of it was definitely cultural. Um, I had a weird name. My full name is Rudiger. We ate strange food. We had strange customs and traditions. I was also 
physically different from most of my peers. I grew up very quickly. I was much taller than most of my peers, most of my childhood, and also much heavier. School was an almost entirely unpleasant experience for me for, for 12 years. I was bullied uh, a lot. Um, I guess I, I developed a really strong, almost dichotomous view of the world. Home is safe, home is sanctuary, home is this fortress, <laughs> almost. And outside is cruel and brutal. <laughs> and I became very, very anxious about the outside world. I became very withdrawn. The expectation was that Rudy would go to university. But just like school, Rudy found that to be a horrible experience. Until Rudy changed courses from engineering to humanities and met some like-minded people. And of course, later on, Rudy met Laura. When I first met Laura, we were, you know, it was the early 2000s. The world had moved past mixtapes and we were now making mixed CDs. Rudy nervously waited for Laura's review of the music choice. What was she going to think? I put together a CD of 20 of my favourite songs. And the first thing that Laura said to me when, when the jury came back was, they're all women. And I hadn't even thought about it. And yes, they were. Like, every, every voice on that CD was, was a, a female. They were inseparable. So they got married, and the next step was extending their little family. I always, I always wanted children. I always wanted a family. And Laura felt the same way. Gee, it took five years, five long years. It was a struggle, and they had to investigate other fertility treatments. Both Laura and Rudy got to the point where they almost wanted to give up. Until one year, a Christmas miracle. I just remember the first, when the first baby was born, and I got to hold him for the first time. There's this fundamental shift and just having this beautiful little creature curled up on my chest. And I mean, it's what both of us had wanted and longed for. Having children brought up some tough memories from Rudy's childhood and the bullying that happened to Rudy at school. There was worry there. I remember when the time came for the elder son to start school and we were taking him to you know meet the principal and and get a tour of the school and I remember walking with him into that school with the heaviest heart because in the back of my mind was oh my god like what what are we doing to you my poor boy like I feel so so protective of you and 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 it was so yeah it was it was actually kind of traumatising for me to be going back into that environment. 
Rudy saw that school might be different now. And very quickly, I realised that this was not the school that I remembered. That principal, as she took us to each classroom, as, as we went to each classroom, the kids there mobbed her like a rock star. And I thought, oh, OK, this is not primary school how I remember it. And so the world had moved on. And it was a really important lesson for me. Having the eldest at school was almost a little bit like a wake-up call. Rudy realised there needed to be some lifestyle changes made. And quickly. I'd worked in tech for a long time. I led a stereotypical lifestyle of an IT worker, very unhealthy. I was very sedentary. I spent all of my work life sitting in front of a computer and most of my social life sitting in front of a computer as well. So, so I did with, with my downtime. Um, I was eating junk food like probably five days a week. And by the time I was in my early to mid 40s, yeah, I was 143 kilos. I started a very strict, very over-the-top exercise regime. I was going to the gym at 3 o'clock in the morning every day, seven days a week, to work out. I really, really restricted calories to a, to a point that was probably foolish. And I judged myself for a long time after that. But So I lost about 60, more than 60 kilos in the course of about nine months. Rudy's attempts to be healthier tipped over into an unhealthy obsession. To be honest, it was driven more by aesthetics than by than by those health concerns. Um, I'd seen a photo of myself that I felt really uncomfortable with. I went from literally never having run in my life to I ran three marathons. Never having ridden a bike even as a kid to teaching myself to, to ride a bike using you know, one of those um, rental city cycles and, and reading about it on the internet, how to adult bike riding. Thankfully, Rudy recognised that the disordered eating and exercise regime was unsustainable and dangerous. But despite losing all of that weight, things were still not right. When I looked in the mirror and looked in the photos, I still wasn't happy. And I couldn't understand why. I remember looking at um, or my psychologist encouraging me to say, okay, well, if, you, if you're wondering about what next, you know, what, what, kind of, you know, what kind of physique are you trying to create? What would make you happy? She recommended a, a beautiful book to me, but it was a sports photographer who documented a wide variety of different body types, all kinds of different athletes, you know, so the, the super lean sprinters through to the, the huge bulky power lifters and like every possible different combination of, of athletes an athletic figure in between. But one thing I wasn't expecting was that as looking through those, I, I wasn't, nothing was lighting up to me. I was saying, well, I don't want to look like him and I don't want to look like him and I definitely don't want to look like him. But then the photographer who'd put this book together had also photographed female athletes. And then I found myself thinking, oh, I wish I could look like her. Okay, what the hell? Rudy was processing the new information almost like processing data. And until that information was understood, Rudy thought it best not to discuss things right away with anyone. It was never as if like there was a, a tally building up in my head, but certainly 
there were experiences that I had in my mid-40s, which suddenly, it was almost like, oh, okay, and, and suddenly that whole checklist suddenly lights up and you can't ignore what, you can't ignore what you're, you're seeing. And then you realise, oh, okay, maybe this is stacking up to something. And then a moment. One evening as I was walking past a a sports store and I saw this pair of tights in the window. And so I went back and I looked again and I knew that they would be very practical for the running and the cycling that I was doing. But it was, you know, it was a it was a, a women's store and I thought, oh, I, <laughs> that's not for me. They had this beautiful pattern of constellations on them. They were a midnight blue with these patterns, with these astronomical patterns. And I wanted them. I went home and I jumped straight on the internet, so I found out the the name of the pattern, and then I went to order them, and they were sold out online. Feeling brave, but also self-conscious, Rudy used Laura as an excuse to enter the store in hopes to purchase the leggings. I go into the store and I say, oh, look, you know, I'm looking for those tights in the window and, you know, this is the size. Do you have that? For my wife. <laughs> made it very clear. And so the shop assistant went away and, and said yes and brought them out. And he said, and do you want the matching bra? And I go, oh, no, no, just, just, what, I was, just what I was told to get. <laughs> but then, then the next hurdle was wearing them. The morning of the run. It's time. I put them on, getting ready to go out. To, to, to run and I, I just couldn't do it. I liter- quite literally put them on and took them off three times that, that morning before I dared venture out the door. I wore them to the run and nobody there said anything or um, people noticed because some of the, the women that I was running with loved them and, and complimented them. But I didn't get any negative feedback. Nobody through a sideways glance, like nobody seemed to care. Those tights were the start of quite a revolution in Rudy's wardrobe and grooming. I'd been dipping my toe into different levels of you know, feminine presentation and grooming, so I'd, you know, I'd, I'd been waxed. <laughs> to put that into context, I'm stereotypically hairy Mediterranean by nature. So going from that to like literally everything waxed from the neck down, that was an experience and that was a big change. <laughs> Over the course of that year, this gradual experimentation of pushing these boundaries, of the waxing, and then I, after that, I'd got a, an SMS offer to, oh yeah, 50% if you want to get your lashes done. And you've got a new lash artist. Like, okay, let's try that. Or I'm going to a charity event and it's, it's a pink theme. Uh, oh, well, why don't I get my nails painted to go with the pink outfit that I picked out? Lashes, waxing, and pink nails? It was pretty big. The problem was, Rudy and Laura never talked about it. Because talking about it might blow everything up. I was very worried <laughs> about what was going through Laura's head. So I was avoiding the conversation, and I'm still scared, because now it's us. Rudy's head was buried in the sand, but Rudy goes to an event. 
this is the elephant in the room. But then I think one day it goes so far, I'm going to an event, um, I am wearing a full face of makeup and I'm wearing a, a very glamorous gown, a Camilla gown. Rudy's going out without Laura. It's not a secret. Laura knows of the night out. But Rudy isn't entirely honest. I'm not proud of this. Um, I didn't get ready at home. I, I had my face done at a, at a studio and then I got changed. The first that Laura saw it was on the, on the photos that were coming through on social media that night. And the next morning, Laura says, so what was that? I kind of deflected the question, oh, what do you want to know? And she said, no, I want you to tell me. This was the moment that Rudy had feared for so long. Was their life as they knew it about to completely fall apart? Of course, I'm very grateful and I'm grateful that, that Laura led it because I didn't have the courage to at that time. I explained that I didn't, I didn't really understand what, what was happening for me, that I was, um, that I, I was wanting to explore. And in all the fear that Rudy was trying to deal with about how Laura would see this, Rudy hadn't considered that she was scared too. The reassurance that she was looking for that day was that it didn't mean anything about us, that it wasn't that I was about to to leave and pursue some different life, that it really was the same me showing up in a new way. Rudy and Laura had committed to each other 20 years ago, and now they were recommitting to each other again. And Laura found a beautiful way to make that very clear. We had gone to a festival, and it was a, it was a sunflower festival at a, in a country town. And we were just about to head home. And you know, I, I love a bit of merch. And so uh, I said, oh, just before we go, there's just one thing I want to, I want to get. Can you just wait a moment? I just want to go to that stall that was selling the, the sunflower earrings, because I, really I really want a pair. And then she just put her hand on my arm. And out of her bag, she pulled a pair of the earrings that she had bought for me. I mean, I'm tearing up just remembering it because it was a clear signal that, yeah, we're good. And again, just like everything else on this journey that I had built up to be tremendously anxiety-inducing and scary, it was an anticlimax or a, a nothing. It was just, oh, okay, well, this isn't about us. This is... Yeah, there, there is no, the relationship and, this, and our home, none of this is at stake, none of this is under threat. Neither Rudy or Laura were going anywhere. There are just so many horror stories. There are people lose their, their families or people experience terrible consequences in their, their jobs and their workplaces. And, and it wasn't easy for Laura and it's, in some ways, still not easy, I think. And for me, this 
also been tremendous fear and uncertainty because I wouldn't want to jeopardize what we have. I'm also very conscious that as far as these things go, I've been very, very lucky and very blessed. By revealing this authentic side, Rudy hopes that their boys will take away an important lesson. Life is short and fragile, and we can easily blow it on trying to live up to somebody else's standards or how somebody else thinks we should live their life. Rudy and Laura and the boys are settled and happy. Once so scared of the world, Rudy now lives in a way that makes sense, with the very great fortune of having a partner by their side who is very much on their side. I see myself in some ways as very free, as having transcended or left behind scripts or expectations that don't work for me. I have discovered a way of relating to the world in which I experience tremendous joy. It's, it's the dream. It's the, it's the fairy tale. I've got the fairy tale. That was Rudy Landman's story. This episode of Days Like These was reported by Janae Jenkins. Our script editors were Sophie Townsend and Alex Longman. Our sound engineer was Russell Stapleton. Our executive producers are Sophie Townsend and Kyla Slavin. This episode was produced on the lands of the Turrbal and Yugara people. Next time on Days Like These. Tyson Co. loves music and the music scene. So much so that for a while, his whole identity and career revolved around sweaty, sticky flawed spaces. But one day, his entire world comes to a grinding halt. And fighting for what he believes in takes him to a much darker place than he anticipated. That's next time on Days Like These. I'm Fazadraki. I'll catch you then. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.